Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray as we think about and reflect on your words, that you open up our hearts and minds to hear from you. That you remind us of the love, the great love you have for us. Love that will saturate our lives and give us hope. Love that will cleanse our lives and give us a future. Love that makes us righteous, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus, your son, has done for us. Be with us and encourage us. Give us a sense of your presence and peace. Amen. I'm not knowing about you, but one of the things I do not like doing is cleaning up. Cleaning up mess. And one of the things I really don't like doing too much, and God la- I reckon God laughs at me about this because I get put in positions where I'm doing this from time to time, is cleaning up other people's mess. It's a bit frustrating, doesn't it? Cleaning up mess and cleaning up other people's mess. Well, today we see, we're talking about, in this sermon series that we're about to begin, that God is at work cleaning up our mess, cleaning up the mess that we have in our lives, the mess that is on our heart. And in Lent, in Lent this year, that's our focus, is God is God's cleaning hearts. God's cleansing our hearts. Now, it's interesting, this Psalm 51, you know, as I was reading through, and, I, and I, the words of the song rang in my ear, and I could remember a traditional liturgy, creating me a clean heart, O God. And as I was reading material about this Psalm, this God creating clean hearts, there are some people who think this Psalm is no longer relevant. They think that it's not necessary for our lives, because Jesus has already forgiven our sins. And therefore our hearts are clean. But then when I reflect on my own life, when I look at the lives of others and people who call themselves Christians, we have clean hearts because we have been affected by Jesus. But we also get dirty again because we're interaction with the world. Our hearts also become contaminated because we're not always focused on God. It's a little bit like our laundry I don't know about you, but my laundry basket is piling up, right, at the moment. And we wish at these times that we don't have to wash our clothes once. Next week we have a baptism, and every time I meet with a baptism family, we talk about how part of baptism is God's washing away sins. And I jokingly say with them, I wish that was meant that your child would never sin again. And sometimes people go, I hope that that would be the case, but I know it's not. You see, Psalm 51 is quite relevant for us today because, yes, God has been at work in our lives through Jesus, cleaning our hearts, but our hearts continue to get dirty again by sin. And the challenge that we have as Christians is to recognise that, that we don't have completely dirty, contaminated hearts that are no good because Jesus has been at work in our lives already. But also, at the same time, we live in a world that affects us. Our minds and our hearts get influenced by the thinking of this world that is not always consistent with God, that encourages us to think of ourselves, that encourages us to actually sin rather than trust God. And so, throughout this Lenten season, the Sundays in Lent, what we'll be doing is looking at God's cleaning hearts and... 
influenced by also our epistle readings. Now when it comes to sin, there is at least three challenges. You might be able to think of more. There's three challenges that we face. The first is we can often see clearly sin in the lives of others more than we see it in ourselves. If you had tuned in or came to our Ash Wednesday service, I think Christian Hull explained it well in his sermon. You know, we look at the world's events and we're going to say that that devil, that criminal, that terrorist Putin at the moment. We're very quick to highlight somebody else's sins. But do we look at also ourselves? Reminds me that sometimes... My wife will say to me, oh, Richard, you need to change your shirt. Your shirt's dirty. I don't see it, but she does because I've spilt some tea or lunch on it. And so that's one of our first challenges. We often see the sins of others very clearly. We're often quick to judge, quick to point it out, but we don't see the sin in our lives. Or sometimes we might think, oh, yeah, this is not quite right, but I can justify it. So that's one of our challenges when it comes to sin. We often want to focus on others before ourselves. The second thing is we prefer to define what sin is rather than let God define what sin is. We prefer to say certain things are sin because they make us feel uncomfortable rather than allowing God to define what the sin is. And the third is, is our solution to sin. Our solution to sin is often, if we recognise it in ourselves or recognise it in somebody else, is that they or us have to deal with it. We have to, get, we have to deal with it ourselves. We have to clean up, fix up the problem ourselves. Or even worse, let's cover up the mess. And how much trouble has that caused people in history? Where they've covered up sin in their lives. Only to be discovered and the hurt and the problems that's caused. But even more so, when we try to deal with it ourselves, we often don't deal with it in a good way. Well, Psalm 51 has a story behind it. That story is um, King David. You probably know a lot of this story fairly well. King David has seen this beautiful woman. woman. And this woman that he's seen, he's he's fallen, fallen for her greatly. But there's a problem. This woman is married. And, he ha- and she happens to be married to one of his soldiers. And so King David has an affair with her. But not only that, she falls pregnant. And to cover up the sin, what he does is he puts the soldier in the most dangerous position so he's most likely to be killed. And he does get killed. And David acts and thinks for a while that he's got away with the sin. He's got away with this issue. Until a friend, Nathan. Now, Nathan was a prophet that God had put in David's life, but he was also a good friend. And Nathan comes along and confronts David, but he's a little bit smart in the way he confronts David. He doesn't say to David, you have sinned, because I don't know if you've ever noticed this, If you tell somebody they have sinned, usually there's this pushback. You're always picking on me or there's stuff going on. And it usually doesn't help the relationship. 
But David's a bit more, Nathan's a bit more cluey, so he tells this story. And he tells this story that's basically around how this rich person has taken advantage of a, a poorer, a, a poorer person, a person who's not as well off, not in as good a situation. And this, and David hearing this story, he is enraged. He said, who is this rich person? He must pay for his sins. And then Nathan points out to David, it's him. If you want to read this story, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. I encourage you to, to look it up and read it, to hear the full picture of this story. This is the story that leads David in to this prayer that is now we, what we know as Psalm 51. And part of this psalm says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Psalm 51 shows how David deals with sin in a way that's pleasing with God. And there's one more thing we should understand about David. Is David himself in, in 1 Samuel is referred to as a man after God's own heart. A man who's on the same page at least, or in the same book as God. But then he commits this sin, so he's, well, this sin becomes obvious to him. And so he prays this prayer. This prayer in Psalm 51, creating me a pure heart, O God. So David's solution to sin in Psalm 51 looks like this. First of all, he recognises that only God is the solution. Remember, David's a king, he's powerful. He wouldn't have got to be a king and maintain being a king unless he wasn't powerful. But he also recognised his place with God, his present, his place there, and also in the way he's going to deal with sin, is that God is the only solution to his sin. Not covering up, not justifying it, but recognising that turning to God is what's important. Then, though, and this is the important part that many people miss when it comes to God, particularly people who are some distance from God, who are not engaging with God regularly, they often think God is this um, powerful divine thing that's going to punish them. You know, I hear a lot about karma, which is not Christian. But that comes from a position that there's this divine thing that is going to punish them for the wrong things you do. But what David does is recognise that God is all-loving, all-merciful. And if we engage with Scripture, and particularly the New Testament, we see this more and more revealed through Jesus Christ. That Jesus is powerful, but powerful in a different way. He's loving, he's merciful, he's compassionate, and he's forgiving. And the other thing that you'll notice in Psalm 51, which I encourage you to read through as well, is that when it comes to sin, he's not looking at others. He's not going, ah, oh, you know, it's Bathsheba's fault because she looks so beautiful or she placed herself in a situation that would tempt me. He's, he's 
focusing on himself, on the sins of his life. He's focusing on, first of all, himself. And this is a good lesson for us as we live in this world. Because the temptation is like that challenge is to, to look at everybody else, to look at what everybody else is doing wrong and to highlight their sins to them or even worse, to talk about them, how bad they are, not even in their presence. And sometimes when I get involved in those conversations, because it's easy to do, it's almost like we're trying to make ourselves feel better because this politician hasn't done the right thing or this person has done something wrong. It's also a way of masking our own sin. But David here then focuses on himself. And what he does is then seek forgiveness for specific sins. He seeks forgiveness for his sin that he's committed. And he recognises that the sin he's committed is not just a sin against Uriah, the soldier, or Bathsheba, or his kingdom, but it's also a sin against God, which is a reminder to us that every sin we commit is also sinning against God. But he names his sin, and this is something I'd encourage you to do regularly. Encourage you to think about what are the sins that have been part of my life and name them. For those who have been part of our congregation here at St Paul's, you would know that on Good Friday we often have a ritual where we encourage you to bring your sins to the cross, to write them down and put them down. And one year one bloke said to me, I don't need to do that. God knows all my sins. And his wife jumped in, but do you know them? And the point of that is not because God doesn't know them. The point is to help us identify what we have been forgiven for. But David doesn't just stop at the sin he's committed. He recognises there's a deeper heart issue. He recognises a deeper heart issue behind his sins. And that is true for all of us. Behind every sin we commit that's seen, there's something deeper going on. Remember, Jesus also speaks about this in the New Testament when he, when he discusses it's not what comes out of the mouth that's a real problem, it's what comes out of your heart. Now, for Jewish people, the heart is where everything comes from. And so he recognises this deeper heart issue and he asks for God to deal with that heart issue. And that's something I'd encourage you to think about. If you've recognised sin in your life, ask, is there something deeper going on? If you have raid rage, road rage, <laughs> road rage, if you have road rage and you're yelling and screaming and you cut somebody off and you're bipping and is there something deeper going on? I can tell you if that happens to me and occasionally I have it. What it is, is I'm running late and I hate being late and I hate being told I'm late. I hate things going badly, right? And I hate being judged by others. And then David seeks a deeper heart cleaning. He seeks God to cleanse his heart, purify his heart. 
And he doesn't just stop there. He recognises that this forgiveness, this forgiveness that God gives, is not just so he can go, oh, good, I feel good about myself. Good, I go into heaven. I'm right. He recognises that his trust in God and his forgiveness leads to a joyful discipleship life. It leads to a different heart that sees God's encouragement to love others, to love him, not as a burden, but as something joyful, something to be involved with, something that gives meaning to life. And so he praises God, he looks to serve others, and he lives for salvation rather than just for himself. And so this idea of creating me a clean heart, O God, lifts our spirit. And it reminds us that, yes, we are forgiven by God, but it also changes our perspective of life. Changes how we see God. So what about you and me? What does this mean for you and me in relation to our Psalm 51 and our reading in Romans? A reminder is the word is always near. Well, we all need Nathans in our life. We all need people to help us recognise. We all need Nathans to help us recognise that we have sinned. And sometimes it's people. Sometimes we've got good companions with us that will help us see that we're not quite, haven't got life right by God. That's why it's important to have good Christian friends who you can have chats with. And often those chats are better if they're gentle, like Nathan was, rather than up front, bang, you're bad and deserve to go to hell approach. Now, it's not, I don't think it's that helpful, particularly in the public sphere, to, to do this, you sin, you're going to hell approach, which we see from time to time. Occasionally down at town hall at the train station, there's a couple of gentlemen who do that. I'm not quite sure how effective that is. But we need Nathans, and that's often people can be that. But the one Nathan we all have is God's word. Is God's word, but particularly as seen through Jesus. And what you'll what you discover, what, what's interesting for me is that when we talk about the word, often we get ourselves attached just to the Bible, the Bible as the word. And the temptation is to turn it into something that was also a problem that Paul was trying to address, that we see the Bible just as a rule book of what we have to do. But the encouragement also, remember, in that word, it talks about the word is also Jesus. And so let's see the Bible, the Bible, the word of God, as seen through Jesus. And then let the word define what sin is. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so as we engage with the word, as we hear the word, as we hear the Bible being read, as we read it in our daily devotions, as we engage in it in Bible studies, one of the questions that I encourage you to think about is this. What sin is being revealed and what deeper heart issues are being revealed? Sometimes 
there won't be anything. But this is about connecting your daily life, your life as you live, with the Word of God. And as you do connect both, think about what sin is being revealed. And maybe even what deeper heart issues are being revealed. You know, for me, sometimes it's a, as I engage with the Word and read the Word, um, there are things that pop up that also highlight the deeper heart issue is things like pride. You know, I want to justify my actions for what I've done. Or a lack of trust. A lack of trust in others and a lack of trust in God. But the good news is for us, God doesn't stop there. Now, I have a, I've had a number of people in my life who have said things like, I'm not coming to church, the roof will cave in. I'm pretty sure God doesn't love me. And yet, throughout, in preparation for this sermon, I read a number of stories where people would say, if they only heard God judging them, if they only stopped at God pointing out all that's wrong, and one person said, I know what's wrong in my life, right? I've heard part of the word, you know, particularly from other Christians. What's the point of connecting with a Christian community or God? Well, the good news is God doesn't stop there because the other part about the word, it's not then next a book that says, all right, Jimmy, you've sinned. Here's 20 steps on how to fix up the sin. Go away and do that, then come back to me. God doesn't do that. Rather, the word then gets us to focus on the real solution to sin, which is Jesus. And remember, Jesus is always near. Now, that can be difficult. Now, the word reminds us that Jesus is always near. And how is he near? Well, through the Bible itself, but also through the church. You and me also bring Jesus near to others to bring words of comfort. Yesterday I had um, a discussion with somebody online, unfortunately, because it was hard to have that two ways, but a discussion with somebody who said something similar like this. I feel cursed, I've done stuff wrong, there's no hope. Discussion was, and I know they were Christian, I know they were baptised, was to talk about Jesus has life for you. Jesus forgives you. Jesus loves you. And you're not cursed. So remember Jesus is always near, but also remember Jesus is always merciful and compassionate. Come back to the start of David's Psalm 51. Compassionate, merciful God. This is one of the issues that some people, particularly people who are not in the pews, people who are not connected with the church they have of God, is that Jesus... He's not primarily compassionate and merciful and forgiving and loving, but rather they fear that God is going to make them feel worse. But then, and this is why some texts are helpful to have in your head, John three sixteen to 17 highlights Jesus' mission to love the world and not condemn the world, to save the world through Jesus. And so Jesus always forgives and saves and Jesus is cleansing our hearts. From Romans chapter 10, verse 8 to 9, we hear, but what does it, 
righteousness, say. The word is near you, it's on your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The solution to our sin is not us getting our lives in order and getting it all perfect and ready. In fact, if that was the problem, we would not have any Christians. There wouldn't have been any, if that was a solution, there wouldn't have been any disciples. You look at all the disciples, they all had issues and problems and continued to have issues and problems. God didn't discard them. He kept them. God doesn't discard us. He keeps forgiving us and cleansing us and loving us. I don't know if you've got a favourite bit of clothing. I fortunately don't for my wife. But my father used to have some favourite clothing. So much time that I think some of that clothing got washed over a hundred times and showed it. Because he loved it. And that's the same with God with you and me. God continually cleanses us and washes us because he loves us. And then Hebrews chapter 13 verse 9 is important to remember. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Not by eating ceremonial foods. Here the writer to the Hebrews is having a go at the Jewish people saying, you think your relationship with God is about getting yourself all right and following all the rules. That's not going to strengthen your heart. What will strengthen your heart is God's grace. So what does this mean in taking our faith seriously in the time of Lent? The first is this regular encouragement for us is to take time daily to read the word and reflect on life and your heart. Allow God to speak and just think and as you read the word and think about what is this saying about my life? Is it revealing a sin? Is it showing something with my heart? Secondly, seek forgiveness and heart cleansing from Jesus. It sounds quite simple and many of us are into that habit. Please don't just leave it until Sunday morning, which is part of the communal confession, but seek that forgiveness regularly. And thirdly, live with hearts shaped by and focused on Jesus. You see, the the thing that I haven't focused too much on is what do we do? What we do comes from our relationship with Jesus. As someone once explained to me, they said to me, before before they took seriously, Jesus' grace and forgiveness was so important. They used to see all Jesus' commands as burdensome. Oh no, I've got to go and love these people. Right? I've got to go and love people. I've got to go, like we said the other week, I've got to love my enemies. That's a burdensome thing. And there's a number of writers throughout history said it becomes burdensome when we don't live with a faith focused on Jesus, but we live with our lives focused on what we want. And so part of our heart cleansing is to change our attitude, change our attitude to what's going on in life and how we respond to things. Rather than seeing some of God's commands as burdensome, seeing them as a blessing and guidance of the way we live. 
Because God is at work cleansing our hearts. Cleansing our hearts so we can have salvation. But cleansing our hearts so we can help others know his grace and his love and his mercy and his peace that he truly brings. So let's pray this prayer together. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen.